Now today I am talking to Tracy Brown, a somatic nutritional therapist, registered licensed dietitian and attuned eating coach. Tracy works in private practice in Florida, USA, providing in-person, phone and online counseling since 2006. Tracy and her team coach women, men, children and adolescents who are struggling with food obsessions and body discomfort and she helps them to build healthy, joyful relationships with food and body image so they can be free and empowered to fully live their lives. The team specialise in the treatment of eating disorders and eating problems, as well as issues related to overextending the body, including adrenal fatigue, hormonal issues, PCOS and gut health. Tracy also has her own food healing journey. And she talks about how in the beginning, it felt as though there was nothing extraordinarily wrong. She had good grades, many friends, and excelled at most things she did. However, Tracy felt somewhat empty and wondering what the point of everything was. And she was aware of being highly sensitive and very attuned to the feelings of others. And she was told more times than she can remember that she just needed to toughen up. Tracy could never get away from feeling what other people were feeling. And this at times felt overwhelming. So she dove into obsessions around being nice and good, the perfect kid, student, athlete, to distract her from the discrepancies of the world. And Tracy fell into an eating disorder, starting out with restrictive eating and later into other disordered eating behaviours. After eight long years though, she began to walk her healing journey. She stepped into attuned eating, deciding to like her body and to commit to the journey of self-acceptance and becoming her full embodied self. And then she began to teach others to do the same. In this episode today, we're going to hear about Tracy's healing journey with the ups and downs along this recovery road. Tracy's also going to talk about the work she does today with her clients, understanding the deeper meaning of eating disorders and how these can be symbolic communicators because sometimes food is the only way we have to numb out, distract, calm or soothe from our inner pain. Tracy is also going to expand on these different moments to decipher moments when we say things like, I feel fat, and use these statements as an opportunity to decode what is really going on in our lives. And this often involves exploring the deeper feelings and to give ourselves what we genuinely need rather than escaping or distracting through food. Tracy is also trauma-informed and is passionate about building safety for her clients and their nervous systems via co-regulation, sensory work, secure attachment and somatic experiencing amongst other practices to provide a landing pad for recovery to stick. So I'm really looking forward to speaking with Tracy today Let's get to the conversation. Hi, Tracy, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, Harriet, thank you so much for having me, for you this afternoon, for me this morning, and I'm real excited for what comes up today. Oh, thank you. So, Tracy, could I get you first, please, to introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. So, my name's Tracy Brown. Well, I guess, number one, I've been, have had my own recovery since around, gosh, I started that process in 1996. So this will give you a timeline of what I'm talking about today. So obviously I feel really, I wouldn't say the words proud, but just really, I share all that to be as a hope to everyone else that yes, people recover, you know, full bore and long-term and that's possible for people. 
but I am also a registered dietitian and a trauma-informed nutrition therapist. And I've been seeing people since 2006, you know, who've been struggling with all kinds of disordered eating, body image, nervous system health regulation issues, and some of the conditions that kind of go along with that. Yeah. And so I also coach and teach other dietitians and nutritionists around the world to like do this kind of work as well. So full plate. And yeah, my story is a little bit interesting, I guess, around how I got to this, if we want to talk about it. Yeah, no, that would be great, actually, Tracy, because when I started just sort of digging into your story a little bit, when I was reading about you, I was struck by the way you were talking about perhaps when you were growing up, you felt that there was nothing sort of extraordinary wrong with you almost, but you had a deep sort of perception of other people's feelings and like felt the world sort of very intensely. So could you just say a little bit more about that? Because I think that's something many people will resonate with. Absolutely. And that's what makes some of the trauma that we go through that makes kind of is fertile ground, I think, for eating disorders, disordered eating, exercise addiction, body dysmorphia, even like workaholism, and even developing some of these weird, like I'll call them diseases later in life is that I don't have any memory of some kind of really horrific abuse, molestation, going through war, all those kind of big T trauma things that most of us think of. But I can look back and know that like, yeah, you can be wired to be a highly sensitive person. But I do think when you grow up in an environment of a lot of criticism or just not a lot of being met emotionally, meaning like it's not that people didn't put a roof over your house and maybe even care about how you're doing in school or care about your well-being. It's just that emotionally, you just want met. And there's a technical term for that. And it's called developmental trauma, where, again, maybe you were physically cared for, but the emotional, maybe mental and emotional attunement just isn't there. So you can grow up with this sense of being even hypersensitive, hyper aware, hyper vigilant of like, am I too much? Do, do I need too much? Am I needs too much? And then you start developing these defensive strategies, we'll call them like, again, hypervigilance, perfectionism, learning how to meet other people's needs before even doing it, of course, people pleasing. And so if I had a big checklist in front of me here, check, 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 check of I was kind of a little adult most of my life. And it's not that people, I did grow up in a situation where people made me take care of them overtly, but I look back, I'm like, yeah, emotionally that was preferred that I just didn't make anybody uncomfortable. Not because I did something wrong. It wasn't my fault. It's just, again, the environment that I grew up in just didn't have their own emotional capacity either. So anyway, you know, you combine that probably with, and then with that, with just the things I noticed around me, just the misattunements of how people do and don't interact with each other in the healthiest of ways. And then you add in diet culture to that. And I also grew up with dieting mothers and grandmothers. And, you know, my view of what it is to grow up as a woman would be like, oh, you're supposed to worry about your body. You know, some of the women in my family criticized other people's bodies. Most didn't actually. A few did, but it was mostly by osmosis of like, oh, having a bigger body is bad and it's bad because it makes you sad and you've got to fix it. So I was, I mean, by the time I was eight years old, I was like pretty hypervigilant about like, well, like, you know, it's, I don't have to worry about that now, but it's something for later. So you can see I'm already, and that's very young, but the seeds are already planted that this is something to fight and to battle and to be worried and sad about. Right. So mm. you talk about attachment ruptures, I guess, this is what we'll call this, just lack of safety inside about 
myself and what it is to be in the world and how to have boundaries. There's nothing wrong with being sensitive, but if you don't have some psychic boundaries, Mm -hmm. you'll take on everybody else's stuff. And before you know it, you don't know what's yours or what's everybody else's. You just feel everything in the room and you're really overwhelmed a lot. So then you become more hyperproductive or you shut down. That's It feels like that's the only two places you've got because inside is you're just neurocepting so much stuff. So, and then add on to like, you know, you get to high school and you have all those individuation issues and social issues and dating and all that. And I had a big breakup and then it was just the straw that broke the camel's back. So I developed restrictive eating disorders and exercise addiction and later binge eating through the beginning, end of high school, early college. And the only thing that brought me back from that is recognizing that this doesn't really get better with time. And, you know, I had a pretty intense hospitalization around it and just recognize that, oh, life has to be lived differently if we don't want to continue these cycles, not only my family, but bigger. And well, I just figured that if you needed to, if you wanted to be a normal eater, you've got to be a normal eater. You can't be a dieter. That's it. And just started, you know, that process. So one of the things that I would say that the linchpin that turned things around too, is that I was really lucky. I was 18 and I was really, really, really lucky to meet a dietitian. One, there's not very many dietitians that are in private practice way back in those days, you know, the late mm. mid, mid to late nineties. And she wasn't exactly like an intuitive eating dietitian, but was like one of those forerunners of like, you know, eating competence, like eat, you know, three meals or just eat flexibly, eat three meals and snacks a day, or basically just take care of your body, (laughs) basically Mm -hmm. without any food rules. There was no, like I did some exchanges and, you know, try to make my plate have a variety of food to relearn how to eat again. But she was like eating competence, learn how to eat regularly, eat enough. And you will eventually get those signals back. And that was just it. It was pretty simple. I mean, she didn't really help me with body image. That took me longer to unpack and excavate, you know, all that old stuff from childhood and the culture at that moment. But, you know, it was the linchpin of, oh, so the body does know what it's doing. And I tried to control the body, really not because it was out of control in the first place, but my life, what was inside my body, like, the container inside, the, the container outside was fine. The insides felt out of control. And I tried to use like something outside of me, what I look like to like tame the insides or make sense of it and recognize, oh yeah, you can't do that physiologically. So that was a miracle. And I slowly got better. It, it wasn't fast. It was like most people's journeys. It was two steps forward, one and a half steps back, but got to a really food recovered place and took me four years after that for the body image. And I had to learn about fat phobia and and actually, again, challenge my own to get past holding on to that. But anyway, the reason I became a dietitian is like, wow, this is an awesome combination of learning how to like use your words to speak and not your body (laughs) and your food. Mm -hmm. So learning how to be emotionally vulnerable, learning how to just do and say hard things. And I didn't fall apart and die and science. It was great. You know, so it was a little mix. It was a mix of nutrition therapy and, you know, counseling. It was wonderful. And I thought that's what dietitians were and did. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. <laughs> and not because it was about health at all. I didn't really care about that, to be honest, you know, because eating disorders aren't about health. Even mm-hmm. if the cover is, oh, I'm going to eat this way to like get healthier. You know, when you look at most people's food and they say that, it's always usually very restrictive. So it's not really about health. It's a cover. But anyway, 
So I go to school and I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And what have I got myself into? Because a lot of it was very good. You know, this, the deep science is really great about how the body works. And that all made sense to me from the death we know. But what I recognize, like a lot of this is very, this just colludes with our fat phobic culture, a lot of this stuff. And I don't buy it. I just don't buy it that everybody has to be thin to be healthy because I know lots of people in my own world personally who are like, they're in bigger bodies, but they're healthy as horses. And I know other people who are super stressed out. They're like kind of muscle wasted because they're so stressed. And I was like, oh, what did you do to lose weight? And like, oh, it's called somebody died, you know? So I had those experiences like, oh, what you look like is an indicator of your health or your worth. And that wasn't the message I was getting very much mixed messages. So I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this career, but I'll go ahead and get this license and do the things. And then I'll either figure out how to help people in a way that doesn't do any harm the best I can. I mean, there's no such thing as no harm, but the least Mm -hmm. harm possible. And, or I'll find something different to do. So here we are. (laughs) As soon as I got out and got the ability to practice, it's really diving in. I had a little bit, some jobs here, there that didn't do any major harm nutritionally to people, but just dove into actually the art of the counseling of how to teach people how to eat normally again and how to help people, gosh, just feel safe in relationship with like, you know, we're here talking about your food, but this is about the observation of what you're saying about your food. So when you're saying like, I'm looking at your food here with you and you're saying like, oh, I ate so much. I can't believe I ate so much. And I'm looking at this scientifically. I'm like, well, what are you so full of? What's so much? Cause it ain't the food. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Or if it is the food. And so like get all that congruent or if it is like, yeah, that's true. You did have a binge. What was happening? Because we've overridden our physiologic signals to change our state, like how we're feeling inside. And so here's the edge of one and here's the beginning of an, yeah, kind of how they merge with the other and just helping people know like, okay, what is, you know, dismantle and unpack, like the trauma responses attached to food and weight, the relational stuff, you know, what's true about the food and their signals and what isn't. And then the parts that, you know, are beyond my scope. I pass along to people like you, Harriet. Um, it's like, I'll have a therapist and a dietitian because we probably need it for this journey. But, you know, just seeing where those edges are so people can see like, oh, there's a function to this. It isn't because I'm out of control. I don't, it isn't because I don't know enough about nutrition or it's that this took on a different function that now has become, you know, automatic or autonomic and we've got to unwind this so you can actually have a good relationship with food. Yeah, well, thank you, Tracy, for sharing that. I think I'm just really struck actually, just when you're sort of talking through your story, just how beautifully actually you've just captured how I think many people, I think in my clients, I'm sure people listening to this might really resonate with that feeling of not feeling safe almost in your own body and also maybe of having had many needs met in childhood, perhaps from like physical, you know, financial needs or even feeling loved, but maybe having that emotional component missing or that kind of lack of attunement and I think because I think many people come into therapy don't they feeling quite confused thinking you know nothing particularly has happened you know my childhood was good I didn't have any major traumas but when we start to unpick that when you don't have that attunement maybe and when you are a really highly sensitive person who is 
wanting that so desperately because of, I mean, as human beings, we want to connect so much, don't we? But I think when you're highly sensitive as well, you really want that, don't you? And when that's missing, you can just feel out of sorts, can't you, as though you don't fit in? Absolutely. I think when, well, think about with food, if you're really needing carbs and you've been restricting carbs, what happens in your system? You really obsess more about carbs. I guess I'm going to put a little theory out here is that I can't imagine if you're really missing the yummies that make relationship and connection feel safe, like eye contact and just somebody being really interested in what you have to say or really present to you. It's not that you have to have it 24 seven, but we're wired to connect. Even if you look at like, I love looking at YouTube around like when they have parts of the brain and they're lighting up and you look at the synapses, like they're so close together and they exchange. It's like, oh, we're wired to connect. That's just how we're made. And so the issue is that after enough time of being disappointed and not having, I always think about eating disorders and chronic dieting and body image issues. It's like, there's a something too much in our systems and also probably not enough. So, you know, maybe too many stressors that we don't have the resourcing for, and there's the missing resourcing. So if we can just give a concrete example, you know, maybe you're from a like family like, oh, you know, they love you, but it seems like everything's really about achievement and like, I'll call it industrious over-focus, meaning like all the focus is on the outside, like what we accomplish and how good we do on everything. And you get like a little bit of this earning to get love or worth or significance or safety kind of thing going on. Of course, that's going to translate eventually into our food. Oh, the culture says to like really belong. You need to get this certain kind of body. So if you've already got that attachment kind of system going of like, I have to earn love. Well, it wouldn't be a big shock that you jump into what to earn food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so no. It's not a big leap after a couple of years of like, well, one way of being, you're going to translate that to, or apply that to other things to like, okay, well, this is how you win in life is that you look a certain way and then you'll get the things. And part of recovery is reversing all that. It's like, no, you're inherently wanted and lovable. Even if you got so disappointed by the people you need it from the most, that doesn't mean that you did anything anything wrong enough to deserve that. It's just bad circumstances. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So Tracy, how do you begin then in your work, you know, talk to here about, you know, the nervous system of often being overstimulated, you know, I guess we're often into the fight flight or that sort of striving Mm -hmm. place. So how do you support your clients to be able to begin to self-soothe and take care of themselves and be calmer? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So to build that window of tolerance, and that's just a term for like our zone of arousal of, I'll say how robust we have like a tools kit or resources in our system, like outside of us or inside of us that help us have a place to land as if we're like, we'll call it hyperactivation, which is fight or flight. That's the part of our sympathetic, that it's a good idea. We have it. Just a little quick review for people is it's good that if there's bears or tigers in the area that we find safety quickly, we shouldn't like wait around and see what they're going to do. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you, we need to do that. But oftentimes we can also see other stressors in life as that big a threat too. And if we stay up there too long, we adapt these adaptive strategies, right? And so mm-hmm. if you're used to adaptive strategies long-term, you don't really develop your window and you learn to over-rely on 
obsessive compulsive thoughts and it becomes automatic, let's say, or anxiety. And then below our window of tolerance, we have another aspect of our nervous system that if fight or flight doesn't work anymore, we kind of just shut down. If Again, if we don't have a window where we can feel safe and connected and purposeful, and this is where normative eating lives too, is if we don't have that window, that break, basically, we'll kind of the other part of our nervous system will like, okay, I've been running, 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 running. My body's exhausted. That's not working. So we'll shut down and we'll call that the dorsal part of our parasympathetic nervous system. And it's there to help minimize, again, it's there to minimize pain and to kind of like live to hopefully see another day. Right. And we kind of check out there. That's what it's for. And in those, those places truly aren't real safety and they're really not that soothing, they just feel different than that constant go, go, go. And then also back down in that dorsal, we think, okay, well, I'm just checked out and nothing's bothering me. And you can know if you've ever been to the point of like feeling pretty numb, you're kind of there, but that doesn't feel connected and good either, really, because we're not, we're still wired to connect. So anyway, how do we get to self-soothing is really start to recognize how our food thoughts and behaviors like start to observe how they, one, like what the signals of them are. So I have people just really start to check in before meals. What do you, and I'm not having people doing a lot of body scans per se, but before your meal, what do you notice inside? Oh, my heart's kind of racing and my, or my head's kind of racing, or it's like, I can feel myself really put it off, or I can't wait to get in the kitchen to eat all the things and just start to notice that state. And I often give people sensory tools to work on like weighted blankets or just slowing down, setting reminders just to get more creative, basically learn how to create a compassionate witness. Like what's happening. I know what I need to do, but I can't access it. So that means if I don't slow down and help my body, my body know that it's 2022 or whatever now time year you're listening to this. If our bodies don't have some sense of like, Oh, it's relatively okay enough here to like, slow down and look around, feel around. Is it okay for me to be here? Because if you can start that process with whatever resources, tools or grounding or nature or people or whatever you use to help you get more here, you'll actually start to get more in contact with your hunger and fullness or your preferences. And this takes lots of practice, but it's kind of a bottom up approach versus just the top down. Our mind like, okay, I'm going to like eat three meals a day within these time frames, And that's good to have that intentionality. And then if we can put it with the bottom up of helping the body from like the bottom or not just our body, but like the, our bottom part of our brain that does a lot of the activation of threat or safety, like, Oh, that's right. Yeah. I'm trying to do this. And food is relative, you know, this food's good for me. It's relatively safe. And I can feel a little bit of that inside. And then you get more connected with your values and all that. And a hard thing can feel a lot less hard. And we get to the place you start to build this new neural pathway of like eating's not hard anymore. You don't have to try so hard or white knuckle it or be in recovery forever to get there. It's like, well, I've had experiences. I've had some new experiences of it being okay. And we start to look for those versus the hypervigilance that we talked about earlier in our talk together. Mm. You know, I think the slowing down bit is just so key, isn't it? So important. But it's something, it's incredibly challenging to do, isn't it? When we've often been spinning on the hamster's wheel so fast, yes. just over busy, overstimulated, going from one thing to another. 
and it can just feel so unnatural and clients are thinking so say will say to me sometimes oh I feel really lazy if I'm not being productive or you know slowing down feels inherently wrong and just very challenging I love that you said that those are perfect examples of why people don't do it and why they spin in this process longer than maybe they have to because if we can get to these oh the reason I'm skipping lunch is because when I slow down to eat it at my office I feel like you start to hear these thoughts and you have to capture those thoughts like oh nobody else is eating lunch and though I'm going to be seen as a lazy one oh how familiar is that that getting your needs met means you're lazy and if you can contact that, you're usually going to get a memory or a belief system that's probably pretty incongruent, but it's somebody else's that got put on you. And that's what you adopted in it to adapt to your circumstances. That's where your boundaries were broken a long, 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 long time ago. And that's where the attunement ruptures are. Oh, I was meant to feel like I could sense that like, or I was told overtly that like, got to be productive, you know, because you know, whatever the values are. Productivity is not bad. It's just that it's like anything else or you can have too much of a good thing. Hmm. And we don't know where edges are because it feels like a threat if you do take care of yourself. Maybe I won't belong in this little tribe if I'm the only one who's not working seven days a week on your farm, whatever. I grew up that way, by the way. So I know what that's like to like, the vibe here is like, they're always busy. That's the main value system. Not even... For some people, thinness and image and how much you make is like the main, that's the deity. For other families, it's working because they want to avoid that feeling because somebody down the line got shamed or they're running away from poverty from four generations back. Who knows what it was? Mm. But now it's like, this is just how it is kind of thing. And it's running everybody's nervous systems. So the moment you slow down, you feel all that old threat, whether it's yours or somebody else's. And then there, before you know it, that's what impacts your food. It's like, I really want to recover, but the environment is so hard. That's right. Mm -hmm. And now you have to look at what are your choices. And it's hard to be the one that makes like the the choice of integrity, right? To like either do your lunch anyway. And it might be true. It might not be true that you're seen a certain way, but we've got to face that. Or maybe that this job is really bad for you and isn't really congruent with your recovery goals or values. And we need to find something else. But yeah, you start to see options and that's where the window of tolerance lives too. We're able to look at these challenges in a more connected kind of way. Oh, here's the reality of the situation. It's not that I'm lazy if I eat lunch. Mm. It's either the thoughts, the feelings that are coming up that are making me feel scared or shame. So I'm working instead of taking care of myself because it's just, this is how I know to deal with these feelings. No, I love it how you say becoming a compassionate witness about, you know, just being with yourself in that very compassionate way when you're slowing down because of, as you're saying, when you slow down, perhaps it doesn't feel safe and all this judgment comes up, which is really hard to sit with, but you are, I just love that term, compassionate witness. You're just kind of being with yourself, aren't you? Being sort of curious and noticing and being kind and accepting of yourself in that moment. Absolutely. And I love that you made sure the emphasis, Harriet, how hard it is, especially when you have, when you come from these backgrounds, there's no training. You know, not many of us got this trained to learn how to feel hard feelings and to use positive, helpful resources. And that's why diet culture is so, it's why it's a billion dollar 
billions of dollars in industries because there you've got, you know, most people have probably some attunement ruptures, at least around some topics. Maybe they're pretty secure in one way and insecure in another. And then let's say that your background was really good. Diet culture is doing its darndest from the time you're a little kid to actually traumatize you, to make you think you have a wrong body. And you repeat something enough that's called predictive programming. Like we've been programmed to think we're screwed up from a physical perspective. I have a bad body. Mm. That's just the reality of the world we live in, at least Western culture. There's this programming that you got a wrong body and you got to fix it. And, you know, people are targeted in all different kinds of ways, depends on where you are. And it's almost like if there's just a way to get at people all different kinds of ways. And so I think recognizing that too, over time, will eat away at your internal locus of control, your sense of self. And we'll want to belong and attach to diet culture instead of, and belong with it. And then you have this self-perpetuating cycle, you know? So it's really important to recognize that if you look at the after effects of every diet you've ever been on, let's say, or you had an eating disorder or anybody else, you know, and you look at the fruit of it, like the backside of it, it's like, oh, that really never made anybody long-term happy or healthier. They didn't really grow <laughs> emotionally or in their values. It's just the thing that kind of came and went and we're on to the next thing. So it keeps people almost like kind of frozen in time cycling until either it doesn't work or it gets out of control and then something else happens. So that's why it's so hard to slow down and step outside of it. That's why everybody listening to this, I mean, you're part of the population on the earth is some of the bravest people I know to be like, you know, I know this means listening to these things and operating out of that system makes me really different. But Again, hearing from Harry and I that you're not alone, it's just a little bit smaller tribe, but it's one that you're going, I don't know, never to regret going on just because you just have more agency, more capacity, and probably long-term better, obviously health, because you're actually giving your body what it needs and not what everybody else says you ought to want to need because it fits into that paradigm. Yeah, and I love what you're saying, Tracy. So I think it's a very brave and difficult step, isn't it, to when you're stepping into that attuned place and starting to listen to yourself, you have really got to get in your own lane, I think, and put the blinkers on to diet culture, to like a workaholic culture, to all the things that all these outside kind of should messages that are just so powerful, aren't they? And, you know, in their past you know, they're talked about by all the people around us in our networks and on social media. And it's incredibly challenging to kind of put the blinkers on, to kind of put the headphones on, to kind of block out the noise and kind of start to listen inwards and get in your own lane. Even though you have a choice, I hope this podcast helps people recognize that there are other options. There's another paradigm. There's mm. another way of being that you know, you're not going to hear much about because Harriet and I don't have millions and billions of dollars to like get this message out there. So we're just doing it one podcast and I do videos at a time and helping people see like what you're feeling makes sense given the history you have and the culture that we all grew up in, but there's a way out of it and there's something different and it's more, it's almost like it seems so radical to be able to learn how to feel feelings, <laughs> to eat from hunger and fullness, to Think critically about what's being marketed to you or sold to you to like, oh, well, that's interesting. I wonder if that's really true that that, you know, not eating till X, Y, Z part of the day is going to like make me live forever. And what would be the side effects of that on me to learn how to do that versus like, 
oh, look at the pretty pictures and like, you know, the language and yeah, it takes some intentionality for sure to get in that old call that window of tolerance and like, huh, yeah, what are they trying to sell me? And does this help me be more physically, mentally, emotionally, even spiritually healthy? If the answer is you're not sure or definitely not, then you just not, you don't have to spend any more time with that, even if everybody else is doing it. So Tracy, we've talked a lot about sort of slowing down, starting to sort of check in, become more attuned, starting to question some of these things that are put on us by the culture. Obviously, this is a massive topic, but for anyone that's listening and just thinking as well, I would really like to take, you know, another step along this journey. What else would you perhaps suggest to someone listening? You know, maybe the first step is slowing down, becoming that compassionate witness, observing oneself, tuning in a little bit more. What else could someone be doing as a next baby step? Absolutely. I would say get yourself in some good relationship with seeing others the best you can. And to really, I guess there's so many first steps, right? But I think slowing down really goes around, again, really being intentional of making time in your day to slow down. And because the world's always moving fast and there's always things that are going to pull at you. So just like we put effort into like when we used to count calories, macros, go to the gym obsessively, scroll for hours on whatever social media, it's like, can we reclaim some of that time to just check in? How am I doing? What is this and can I be with it? And then if you need some tools, I highly recommend you get some sensory tools, like make yourself a pillow for every once in a while to feel your edges, get a weighted blanket to eat with your meals. And if you feel, if you just kind of feel unmoored and ungrounded and all that, so get some tangible things to hold, to see this smell, warmth on your body, whatever you need to do. And I think the other part is just the commit to like, I know this body doesn't like (laughs) diet culture eating and living so what's the opposite Mm. and something as simple as just committing to if you're at one meal work to two if you're at two work to three if you're somebody who's like my eating is chaotic and all over the place actually do the same thing and start to work towards eating a meal that you would serve someone that you really care about this is for everybody like serve yourself something that like if i came over to your house as a guest you probably would want me to feel thought about and provided for and satisfied and have a really good experience. So start to think about yourself in that way and how you feed yourself. If you don't think you deserve it yet, start smaller, but those are places to like start to reframe how you feed yourself. Yeah, and I love that, Tracy. And I think people with eating disorders are usually just brilliant at caring for others aren't they they're usually like really tuned in so kind so compassionate so thoughtful you know really really so good at tuning into others but being able to do that for themselves is often so much more of a challenge but I often say to my clients the fact you can do it for others it shows that you have the ability you know you've just got to learn to do not just but it's learning to do that for yourself isn't it treating yourself as you would a loved one or a dear pet or someone that's really valuable to you. Well, absolutely. And I think, again, maybe it doesn't have to start with, yeah, how, yeah, like you have a pet, you mentioned a pet and it's like when you got this little pet as like a cute little puppy or kitten or whatever, and they're adorable and you know, you just can't stop taking care of them. You wouldn't do less for them as they aged and changed. So it's the same for us, even if we're going to age our bodies are going to change. It deserves that much love and care. It's the same being. It's just different. And so 
start to change that mentality as well. But even if like, you're not going to make, be able to make the big jump to like, oh, I love my body and I deserve all this care. It's like, well, can we start with hate less? Mm. Harriet and I are not asking y'all to like, oh, you'd love this body. You mm. just hate it less. Yeah, it's the baby steps, isn't it? you got to start baby where steps. you're at. Yeah, the integrity of like, yeah, I wouldn't treat my worst enemy with these thoughts I have. Well, your body is listening to that too. And it's time to kind of like capture some of the thoughts of, because they're hurtful, even if they're, you know, kind of aimed at yourself. Yeah. So Tracy, where can people find you if they want to hear more about the work you do, or maybe they want to sign up to one of your programs or yeah, do tell us. Yeah, sure. Yeah. The easiest way is probably the most like day-to-day contact with me is like I do two lives a week on Facebook. So Facebook at Tracy Brown RD, just look for me there and I answer questions and I've been doing this every week. I'm trying to think of that since a really long time, five, six, seven years, I'm losing track now of like, I've been on this schedule and to connect with people real time. And then, so Tracy Brown RD. And then if you just, yeah, I want to go to my website and see all the past blog posts since 2013, the programs and one-on-one coaching, group coaching we've got going on. It's just tracybrownrd.com. There's a website, lots of free gifts there around decoding I feel fat feelings. And and there's a really, for those of you who are interested in some of the traumas and the sensory work that you can do to get started, this doesn't heal trauma. This just helps you be able to like start to work with the sensations that come up and all that. When you're exploring that work with your food and with your therapist, it's in the skin. So it helps you kind of feel a little bit safer in your skin. So there's a couple of good resources there if you'd like. And yeah, that's about it. Brilliant. Well, Tracy, I shall make sure that those details are in the show notes. I'm so impressed that you've been going live on Facebook for that long. <laughs> well done. You know what? Well, it's just like the podcasting where else we do. It's like you find something that you like and it's easier. It's easier to mm. stick with it, you know, um, yeah. when you're tired or like, what am I going to talk about? But you just <sighs> find your feet, your seat and your back in your chair and connect with all the people that as a Malcolm or are fighting hard to have a free life and you just kind of go with it and imperfect action is what we do right so yeah absolutely yeah I'm with you 100% <laughs> well Tracy I'd just like to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today for sharing your story and for you know sharing some of these tips and skills that people can start to use in their recovery journey it's been incredibly valuable and I really appreciate it Harriet, it's such an honor and a privilege to get to talk to you and, you know, just be a part of the audience. Yeah, just be part of y'all's experience as well. So thank you so much and hope you have a really great rest of your day. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. And do go and check out all of Tracy's info in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore have a further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. If you enjoy this podcast, I would be so grateful if you would follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.